Well, butter my already amply buttered biscuits if it isn't the infamous you. Greetings, my esteemed colleagues, my fellow turd hurlers. It is I, the Dumb Slayer. Welcome to the acutely obtuse podcast episode twee. Yeah, that's why I speak like a freaking baby now, and you better freaking respect it. Hey, why is it okay for me to say freaking but not you know, the other word? Like, think about this for a second. Big Wyoming doesn't want me saying the F word. Okay, whatever. I won't say the F word then. Instead, I'll say frickin', a word that sounds an awful lot like the other word I am not allowed to say. And when I say frickin', we all know what I really mean, so it's not even like the word has a completely different, more PG meaning or anything. When I say frickin', you get the frickin' message. And yet, frickin' is frickin' okay by the standards of Big Wyoming and the general population. But if I were ever to frick up and say the other term, then well, it's into the dino dung for me. But enough talk of Wyoming and Dino Dung, and don't you dare complain about the fact that this is the third consecutive episode I have brought up Wyoming and Dinosaur Poopy. This is my show, my outlet for the emotions I repress all week, and I'll do whatever I dang well please. See, there's another one of those words again. Frickin' Tomator in the Cars movies is allowed to say daggum and dang and crap, but if he were to ever dare even think about saying goddamn, he'd never work in Hollywood again. And since Tomator continues to do quite well for himself and start in another show within the past year, I must assume Tomator is okay with all of this censorship and he is doing whatever makes Big Wyoming happy. I mean, it's possible he isn't okay with any of this, but we'll have to wait for his Netflix comedy special 10 years from now once his career has bombed and his name has fallen into irrelevancy. If it ever will fall into irrelevancy, do you ever think about the fact that more people know the name Tomater than your own name? And the fact that for the foreseeable lifetime, Tomater will always have a greater hold on the minds of the public than your own? No matter how much you do in this life, no matter how great you are, your name will be dust next to the giant of Tomater. You could develop the cure for all cancers and have it taste like dark chocolate and red wine on an October evening and give away all your life savings to ensure the medicine is openly available to all people, no matter their class, for the next 30 years. And yet, your name will still be nothing next to Tomater. It's really humbling. We're all just dust in the wind, and nothing we ever do will ever matter, so why try? Maybe rage. I think rage is why we try. Rage at the idea that Tomater is valued more by greater society than you or I. Rage against the machine powering the Tomater totalitarian regime over the public conscience, keeping them blind to the truth and blind to purpose and blind to meaning, my friends. There is purpose in everything you do, no matter how small. Because each act you take upon your own free will, each simple motion, each action of your own choosing, is one action more that Tomater and Big Wyoming are not controlling. One more moment in time where it is you and the small things you do that shape the matter of the universe, not Tomater. Rage. Rage against it all with each breath that you take, and never rest until the name of Tomater is buried under millennia of dino dung. Rage until the only creatures forced to comprehend Tomater are all the poor fish of the great Pacific Ocean, where all of Mater's merch will one day dwell. Rage until it is all over. If you can't tell, I'm in a bit of a mood today. What can I say? It's just one of those days. 
one of those kind of dark and depressing and difficult days, so most days, I guess. Listen, things are just rough and unstable for me right now. I don't want to get too into it since, again, this is my show, my outlet to rage against whatever I want, and I don't want to dwell too much on the fact that the American economy is terrible, is a terrible, ever-hungry machine, desperate for more blood on which to feast. I'm struggling with employment, okay? Literally nobody wants to hire me, not the big companies, not the nobodies, not even some random kilt-making company out in the middle of nowhere. Damn, nobody want me for real. I'm lucky enough to have a current gig, but it does not offer enough to make the bills, so I'm looking for, like, you know, a way to not die. It's surprisingly hard to not die in Tomaters America. So that's how I'm doing, but who cares about me? Well, clearly nobody does, because what we all really want to know is, how are you doing? I hope you are absolutely dazzling, darling, and if not, that is perfectly okay. You know who is doing quite dazzling today? My fish family. They have been having, um, quite the week. The biggest discovery of this week was the fact that Cheez-It appears to have come out as a lesbian, and honestly, good for her. She and another ladyfish have been swimming around very close to each other a lot lately. Like, they are glued together. And it makes me very happy to see Cheez-It so happy. She's another one of the fish who had a, has, a, had, has had a bit of a rough life. She is from the first brood of Frank and Clementine. And when Clementine gave birth, I was able to get most of the fry out and into their own separate tank to grow up safely. You know, where they wouldn't be eaten by their own parents. And while I was able to get most of them to safely, safety, there were a few I missed. Some because they were quite good at hiding, and one, Cheez-It, because she was a bit of a badass. As a baby, she was literally lightning fast, I could never keep up with her, and she was excellent at hiding. She was the only one left behind to survive to adulthood. So like I said, she had a rough childhood, but she seems really happy with her new friend, I didn't give this friend a name yet because honestly, a lot of Frank and Clementine's children look similar and, easy, and are easy to confuse, so some of them have names and some of them don't. But since this fish is of such great importance to cheese it, I think she deserves a name. That's right, we are going to bequeath- Oh, excuse me. My god, what was that? We are going to bequeath this fish with a name live on the Acutely Obtuse Podcast, a show that will eventually talk about science stuff, I swear. Since she is Cheez-Its partner, I originally thought of naming her something kind of related like White Cheddar, but at the same time, she is not defined by who her current partner is, so she needs her own distinguished title. Sunship. I think that's a beautiful name. It keeps with the same naming convention and is quite, you know, it's still quite unique. Wait, wait a minute. I just had a not-so-great realization live on the Acutely Obtuse the Podcast, the science show. Ah, uh, this is a bit concerning. Cheez-It is the daughter of Frank and Clementine. And the only fish I have here are either Shadow the Hedgehog, Frank, Clementine, or the children of Frank and Clementine, meaning that the fish Cheez-It is dating is technically her own sister. Well, would you look at that? We've got incest in my tank, everybody! Let the bugles ring! We've got fish incest! fish cest Ugh... I have to say, this does put a whole damper on the beautiful relationship between Cheez-It and Sunship. It's like how weddings have that whole does anyone object to this union thing so people back in the day could call out if a marriage was able to be a little too incesty. Cheez-It, Sunship, I love you both, but I must object to this union on the grounds that incest is kinda icky.
They don't seem to be listening to me. Well, what are you gonna do? Talk about science news. That's what I'm gonna do. And lots of other stuff because I want to have fun this podcast. I know. Wild, right? Me? Fun? Impossible. I have a completely mediocre show lined up for us all today, including gripping discussions on daylight, saving time, worm, moon, lots and lots of science news, and even a vibe check ranking of the planets based on what I think they'd order at Panda Express. Yes, we will be discussing what each of the planets in our solar system would order at Panda Express. It's a very scientific endeavor, I assure you. It is certainly more scientific than our first story of the day, which is that... Well... Science journalists are at it again, folks. I know, I know, we did a whole discussion on this in the previous episode, but what can I say? The grift never ends. So what are all these esteemed science news grifters on about this week? Well, an article from the BBC has been making the rounds online. Yeah, we're shooting for the big fish this week. The Moby Penis, or Massive Dong, if you will. An article titled, Mental Health Crisis from COVID was minimal, according to a study from the BB C. Now, I hope I don't even need to humor the thought that the pandemic had little effect on our collective mental health. I mean, I know it ruined my own mental health, and I'm sure you have your own fun stories of the toll the pandemic took on your mental health, but even on a broader societal scale... Have you been outside since the pandemic? Have you seen people in the post-pandemic world? My guy, they are not doing okay. <laughs> But whatever, I'm no scientist or anything, just a guy who talks about incestuous lesbian fish on the internet for fun. So let's look into the BBC article and the study they used to back up their claims to see if, like, is any of this for real or not? Firstly, the claim is based upon a, a review, a review of other studies, not a study itself, which is already proving the article is misleading. I mean, the, the title claims that the idea of the pandemic not having a significant effect on mental health is based upon a study, but it's not. This is a review of other studies, not an actual study itself. They looked at other studies. There is not a study proving that mental health after the pandemic is the same as before. What they're using to support this claim here is a review of other studies, basically the scientific equivalent of a YouTube video essay. It can be useful sometimes, but also it's not doing any of its own work, and it's mostly just putting a narrative off of pre-existing materials rather than making something new. Firstly, the review itself acknowledges issues with its own data collection, and that they discovered probably should not be taken as definitive fact. Quote from the conclusion of the review, High risk of bias in many studies and substantial heterogeneity suggest caution in interpreting results. End quote. That is from the very first line of the conclusion. The authors literally say there are some serious issues with bias in the studies we looked at for this review, and as such, people should not be so quick to jump to conclusions based on what we found. I didn't even have to go to dig for what the author, for that, the author, I didn't have to dig for that. I cannot speak as usual. I did not have to dig to find that. The authors just straight up come out and say it. Only then do they go on to say that based on the evidence they have available, they did not see a change in the general mental health of people in studies. Studies that, again, have high risk for bias before and after the pandemic. At the end of the conclusion, the authors then say they will be updating their review and analysis as more evidence accrues, meaning that, again, 
the researchers clearly state there are some problems with mental health studies and it, sh and it would be irresponsible to jump to broad conclusions based on these findings, and as further information comes to light, they will be updating their findings. Did this stop the BBC and others from jumping to conclusions and making a ton of articles about how the pandemic actually had no effect on mental health and the people whining are just wimpy babies who need to grow up and die in coal mines? Of course not, because, as is unfortunately becoming a refrain around here, they do not care about you. The researchers from this review made it so obviously clear that they didn't want people jumping to conclusions. So this isn't even a lack of education thing or a lack of critical thinking thing. In order to find the evidence the reporters at the BBC used to back up their article, they would have needed to read the section about the flaws present. So they knew. They knew. And they published it anyway because they do not care about you. And like, this is so frustrating, even beyond this instance, because stuff like this is why there is such great mistrust in the media from all sides. And the more reporters do garbage like this, the more disillusioned people will become, and the more they will be lured into conspiracy theories and things like that by people who seem more trustworthy. This stuff matters. Journalistic integrity matters. And it is shocking how little journalistic integrity there can be in science news. This is the goddamn mother-loving BBC, and yet here they are just straight-up misleading people. To find information that counters their own headline they crafted, you have to scroll to midway in the article, where they then, and only then, start to say, well, maybe there are some problems, like how the review only looked at older and wealthier people, and maybe there are other studies which contrast this idea, contest this idea, and provide support for the idea that mental health did worsen for certain populations, and maybe it is also significant that there was a drastic increase in the number of people diagnosed with mental health issues after the pandemic, but like I said, you have to scroll deeper into the article to get that information. And we live in an age where headlines matter more than ever. Most people don't read articles that often. They just share around headlines on social media. I saw this article being shared everywhere. And people were attempting to combat the claim made in the headline also, without reading the actual review and coming up, they were just coming up with their own pseudo-intellectual explanations for why this headline was misleading. And yes, while the headline is misleading, it is also misleading to provide misinformation in your refute of misinformation. The point is, frick the BBC for this, and please, oh please, I beg of you to have a molecule of critical thought in your brain, because as advertising revenue continues to plummet, you are only going to see more and more of this stuff. The limited ad revenue available will only be given to the most ruthless, and since this is how the current information economy is established, there unfortunately is not much else we can do besides, well... Think critically. And you know what could really help all us turd hurlers to think critically? More brain cells. What can I say? I have too much fun losing them. It makes my brain feel all slippery. So we could all use some more brain cells. Maybe. And it looks like scientists might be able to bring neurons back. Kind of. Scientists were able to revive dormant brain cells and increase the number of neurons in some brains of some old mice. And as an old mouse myself, thank god, mouse dementia is even worse than the human variant. But yeah, this study proves it may someday be possible to bring brain cells back from the brink. Which honestly, is 
kind of a terrifying concept. I mean, think about all the people like me who destroy our brain cells recreationally. We could just grow them back with no adverse effects. I could watch all the shark side of the moon I want. Maybe this is one of those discoveries that scientists should kind of just let be swept under the rug. It's far too much power. Or maybe it shouldn't be forgotten because it's actually kind of incredible that they were able to prove it is possible for the brain to at least somewhat regenerate. And the potential implications are absolutely massive. Not to let my low-celled brain run away too much here, but think about all the ways people could be helped by this great technology. Sticking to the whole brain thing, a study in the science journal aptly titled Science reports scientists creating the first detailed wiring of an insect brain, which, like, in some respects, I'm kind of surprised we didn't already know what the brain of insects look like, but I'm guess I'm glad we know now. How I would love to have a detailed and complex diagram of what the brains of ticks look like so I can understand the most effective way to torture them. Look, I'm not a sadistic person. I believe all life is beautiful, important, and valid, except for ticks and wasps. They can go straight to hell for all I care. Name one thing ticks actually do to contribute to the world that another creature can't do better. And don't say something ridiculous like, Oh, they can control deer populations because, my friend, that's what wolves are for. And SUVs. And those things are reproducing like crazy. So it's not like we need ticks anymore. Earth never needed the tick. And we have evolved past any pretense of a need for ticks. Suck my tick because then at least someone would be letting the ticks have just a taste of the pain they caused the world. Anyway, the fruit fly brain mapping thing is incredibly important because fruit flies actually have brains that are quite similar to humans. That makes sense. Fruit flies are just as obsessed as I am about bananas. Aw, oh, frick. I just realized I'm out of bananas. Hold on, I'll be right back. Or, wait. Why don't you come with me to get bananas? That way I don't have to go alone and the podcast can continue. Alright, well, we're just in the car. There's already a siren going off. My car did not struggle as much to get started as this morning, so we're doing great! Banana mission is going well so far. I am driving. I am pulling backwards. It is a wet and dark and disgusting day. The road looks awful. Hello, other driver. Goodbye, other driver. I am turning my turn signal on because I am good and responsible. We are on Death Hill now. I call it Death Hill because I cannot see past the hill, and quite frequently people almost hit me. Also, we just went over Death Hill, and right over here on the right of Death Hill is where a car went in the ditch like a month ago because, like, it snowed once. I know, crazy, right? How dare it snow? But right now, I am only thinking about bananas. I want to get bananas. Okay, big hill number two, big hill number two. Come on, Smooth Jazz. That's the name of the car. Just so you know, his name is Smooth Jazz. He kind of grumbles when I hit the, uh, the acceleration. I don't know if you can hear it. Like that. He kind of grumbles and battles when I hit the acceleration. Hello, fellow driver. Why are your headlights not on? My, my, sir, it is dark out. It is getting dark out. How can you not have the headlights on? What is wrong with you? We are right now at a stoplight. 
It is red. I am waiting. Okay, we can go. We can go green. This stoplight is disgusting. There's no turn lanes or turn signals or anything, and this stoplight gets very busy sometimes. And so you have to basically, like, die to turn left. Luckily, no one is here right now, so I could turn left, and we are almost to the store. We're almost there. I'm gonna get my bananas. I'm gonna take that spot. Beautiful. Okay, turn off the car. Seven minutes just to get here, and now I have to go and get the banana. Procured bananas. It is cold. Why is it so cold? I hate it. But I feel like okay. You know what? The banana. The banana run actually went very well. Surprisingly well. Shockingly well. Even when I got there. When I tell you, the banana carousel was absolutely overflowing. It is a good night tonight, I am telling you. Okay, we're back. Here we are, how many minutes? How long was the trip? It took me 20 minutes to go to the store, get bananas, and leave. I hate this so much. Well, that was fun. I never thought about the fact that I have a modern cellular device and could technically record wherever I want. Maybe we'll have to go out and do field work. Scientists work in fields, right? Or maybe I could even do location-based episodes of the Acutely Obtuse podcast, live from the banana aisle. Now that would be an exciting episode. You know what I'm still not over, though? The fact that it took me... 20 minutes to get bananas. That is ridiculous. You know what I could have done with those, uh, those 20 minutes? I probably would have wasted them somewhere else, but the point is, those 20 minutes are mine to waste, and I am sick and tired of giving them away to the car and driving and such. You know what else I'm sick of? Paywalls on newspaper websites. I was going to have this cool thing where I connected the fruit fly brains to our next topic of discussion, bees showing signs of culture, which like, whoa, that would have been so cool. But there was a paywall on this article, so now I have to go find another website that actually has the information without a paywall. There. Thank you, NPR, for your great service. Or should I say thank you to the people who donate to NPR? Your tote bags allow me to do the Lord's work. These scientists from this article are also doing the Lord's work with this study on bees and puzzles. Basically, a bee was tasked with solving a puzzle, you know, typical science shenanigans, but then something interesting happened. The bees that solved the puzzle started communicating with the other bees, teaching them how to solve the puzzle. Oh my freaking god, that is so cool and also insanely adorable. And since culture, at its most basic level, is animals learning from each other, this incident of bees teaching each other things really supports the idea that bees... Therefore, have culture. Which is so cool, and like I've been saying in my prolific career of three podcast episodes, most animals out there are way smarter than we realize, and we should maybe, like, realize that and respect other animals and their intelligence like my fish and their choice to do consensual incest. Is it what I would choose for them? No. But I'm only human after all, not some god who can teach them the ways in which to act. Although, if bees can be so good at learning and fish are so smart, I wonder what would happen if I gave my fish the Ten Commandments. Do you think 
they would end up forming a cult. Do bees have religion? I really need to get some guest actual scientists on this show someday so I can ask them the real questions. We all really need answers. Now, while they may not be as smart as bees, the bacteria in our next story is certainly smarter than us. Bacteria riding the plumes of, of deep sea vents hint at how ancient life spread. You may be more excited by the whole big discovery on how ancient life spread and all that, but personally, I am much more intrigued by the whole bacteria riding the plumes of deep sea vent things. Oh, to be a little single-celled organism riding the plumes of deep sea vents. I bet they never had to think about self-employment taxes because one of their previous gigs was for an objectively evil organization. Oh, how beautiful their lives must be. But fine, I'll go into the whole big scientific discovery thing as a treat. A new study found a genus called Sulfuramonas. That's one of the better pronunciations I've done, I bet. That is happy to live in the deep sea ocean vents and also in the plumes above. New research found that some of these bacteria actually evolved to ride up with the plumes and spread. So basically, evolution is super cool, and with enough evolution, the bacteria were able to live comfortable lives riding up those deep sea plumes. Can we as humans evolve to do stuff like that? Please? I know that's not how evolution works, but still, I'm not a big fan of the current direction. What, we'll evolve to have AI in our brains and have our posteriors permanently fused to office chairs so that we can work constantly? And whenever we aren't working, the AI in our heads will be constantly generating new advertisements for vitamin water? Well, now I'm going to get a bunch of vitamin water advertisements. That daggum company is how I originally discovered that my college was selling my information. Since I never talked about, searched, or did anything on or near my phone related to vitamin water, I never had vitamin water ads before college, but once I started buying vitamin water using my college ID, all of a sudden, I was constantly inundated with vitamin water ads. In a similar manner, I also discovered the college was selling my personal information to presidential candidates in the 2020 election. Since the person I voted for in the primaries started reaching out. Not to my number though, but to my parents' number since their number was the one saved in my file at the college, so... Thanks to my college selling my information, my parents found out who I voted for, and as you can probably imagine, they were very unhappy. Thank you, college, for just speeding up the already deteriorating relationship with my parents. I mean, I could be mad about them selling my information and thereby revealing private information to my parents, but on the other hand, it just really made the whole process of that relationship rotting much easier. Thank you, college, for improving my life in so, so many ways. You know what else makes my life better? Hearing this story about an orca whale raising the young whale of another species. You know what? Maybe there is hope for the future. Alright, with that bit of positive news, I need to take a break. It has been far too positive around here, so take a break from all this disgust. Disgusting positivity! And when we come back, it will be time to figure out what each of the planets in our solar system are ordering at Panda Express. So don't you dare leave, because it's gonna be... something.
Welcome back, turd hurlers, to the Acutely Obtuse Podcast, the show where we are gonna definitively determine the Panda Express orders for every planet in our solar system using the most scientific of methods, vibes. I have a dissertation in vibes. Some people may call it social anxiety, but my mother always called it a superpower that will make it difficult for me to ever get a job, make friends, find purpose, have mentally stability, or even just be happy ever. But God, am I good at reading people. Or at least what I think people are anyway Panda Express, the only shining light in the dark void that was my college years. At the current moment, there is not a Panda Express with an easily accessible distance, and dear God, I am suffering! And before you smug butt flickers get in here, yes, I know, Panda Express is trash garbage food and there are way better American-style Chinese food restaurants out there, trust me, I know. Where I live now actually has plenty of restaurants that far supersede Panda Express in flavor. But, you know what else they far supersede Panda Express in? Price. And you know what else? I'm a trash man, and sometimes I just crave trash, okay? When you've had a bad day, it's not like you feel like coming home and having some caviar or whatever people with money eat. No, you get a Little Caesars pizza or McDonald's or my poison of choice, Panda Express, you wallow in your sadness for a few hours, and with the help of your garbage food, you pull yourself back up and prepare to fight another day. Panda Express was always there for me when literally nobody else was. Nobody else wanted to hear me express the slightest dissatisfaction with my life, so thank God I had Panda Express there to comfort me. Now I live somewhere where I can't reasonably get Panda Express. And you know what? As soon as I moved here, my mental health took a sharp decline. Could it be due to a variety of factors? Sure. Or could it be due to my lack of access to a Panda Express? Most definitely. Seriously, in college I became a connoisseur of the Panda Express, so I know I can accurately match each of the planets with their Panda Express orders. So let's start with the first of the planets in our solar system, Mercury. Mercury is an alright dude. Not super big, but not a little baby either, so a bowl would be perfect for them. Their side would be steamed rice because that mother fricker dry as hell. The entree would of course be teriyaki chicken because, as I said, dry as hell. Nothing too remarkable with Mercury, so let's move on to Venus. Venus is gonna need a bigger plate, but that's only so that they can have three orders of fried rice because that guy is fried. Then for the one entree they can get since they loaded up the rest of their bigger plate with frickin' fried rice, Sweet fire chicken breast, because as I've said, fried. Earth is up next, and Earth, being Earth, is gonna get the basic plate with fried rice, and their two entrees will both be orange chicken. This order is a classic, but also kinda basic. You know, kinda like Earth. Now once we get to Mars, this is where our orders are going to start getting interesting. Mars is ordering a bowl with chow mein and Beijing beef because Mars has good taste and likes to shake things up sometimes and also enjoys having a bit of spice in life. The chow mein is in the bowl because Mars also kinda sucks, so it can't have good taste all the time. Jupiter, though. Oh boy, wait till you see what Jupiter is ordering. Obviously, this lad is getting a family meal. And unlike Venus who loaded up on fried rice, Jupiter is getting all that meat. 
Jupiter will get Chalmain on the side. I don't know. I just think it fits, and my vibe meter, as we established, is never wrong. Onto the entrees, Jupiter's family meal will be loaded up with a bit of orange chicken, a bit of Kung Pao chicken, and a bit of mushroom chicken. In addition to this family meal, Jupiter is going to need some chicken egg rolls like the Chad they are. All of this will, of course, be washed down with a jumbo Dr. Pepper. It's gonna be a storm in there. Saturn, on the other hand, would definitely have a much more restrained order. Just a little a la carte chow mein with a side of crab rangoons. And a passion mango black tea, of course. This just seems to be the perfect fit for Saturn. Uranus. Uranus. My boy, your anus is gonna need a bigger plate since your anus is a big old gas giant. Load that side up with the heaping helping of fried rice. Gonna need two entrees of honey walnut shrimp and the last entree is black pepper Angus steak. Side of veggie spring roll. Wash down with a diet coke. If you know, you know. Now, what is the planet Neptune ordering at Panda Express, you ask? Powerade. Five orders of blue Powerade. And a bigger plate with a side of super greens and an entree orders of orange chicken, Beijing beef, and honey sesame chicken because Neptune is cool and based as hell. Oh, and throw in some crab rangoons because... You'll, of course, you'll need some crab rangoons. You know what? I'm feeling generous. So, even though Pluto is not a planet, I will let Pluto have an order at Panda Express, if for nothing else than for being a great legacy planet. Pluto is the legacy hire of the solar system, but as we were saying, Pluto's Panda Express order. That mother biglet! Biglet is a derogatory term for Piglet from the Book of Pooh. If you know, you know. Pluto, that mother Biglet, is getting a frickin' cub meal like the little baby they are. Specifically, the broccoli beef meal with steamed white rice because Pluto is not unique or special or interesting. That legacy hire is just really good at branding themselves because their, their dad runs the business Pluto will eventually take over. Enjoy the apple slices, Biglet! And there you have it, every planet and Pluto's Panda Express order. This is a definitive list, I will not be taking any notes, don't you dare try to correct me, I did so much research for this and pushed my vibe meter to the absolute limit. Another thing that was pushed to the absolute limit during this segment was my grammar. My grammar is never good, but an interesting question came up in my head while I was going through this. Obviously, I was trying to use non-binary pronouns for the planet because, like, I don't know what their preferred pronouns are. They never told me, and I don't know how to ask. But when I just said something like, they are, in the back of my head, I wondered, since this they is referring to a singular planet, should it technically be they is? Or is it still they are because that's just the way grammar has always been? I've never been good at grammar, so if anyone knows, shout it into the void and I'll hear you. Also, I just now, three episodes in, realized I probably should have said what my pronouns are. They're he, him, by the way, because I'm a man who dreams of Panda Express and cries literally every night. Men know. I'm sure all the other dude bros out there get where I'm coming from. In better news, I just got the notification that the Acutely Obtuse podcast was accepted onto Apple Podcast. My degeneracy is spreading. Soon all markets shall witness my terror. Except Google Podcasts, for whatever reason. I'm still waiting. 
for us to get on there. I'm honestly shocked Apple approved me before Google. I expected Apple to be the one with the tough standards while Google would hungrily accept basically anything. Alright, we gotta get back into all that science news stuff or else Google will never believe that this is a science podcast and I'll never be able to reach the five people who use Google Podcast. Later on in the show, we'll talk about how daylight saving time is a horrid idea and we'll even get into a new segment I've been preparing. But until then, let's get through, through a few more of these headlines. So, in our first episode, I mentioned Cocaine Bear. In the second episode, we had Pablo Escobar's Cocaine Hippos. Well, friends, turd hurlers, I am pleased to announce that here in episode 3 of the Acutely Obtuse podcast, we have Cocaine Cat. There was a cat, an African servo cat to be exact, who was discovered at a traffic stop with cocaine in his system. In case you were wondering, the cat was a passenger of the person who was driving and got at the traffic stop. It wasn't the cocaine cat that was driving and got pulled over, although that would have been an even better story. But, 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 but the cat, the driver, the driver who was driving with the cat got pulled over at the traffic stop and there was a cat and he escaped as a cocaine cat would. But they got him and he will now be brought to live at the Cincinnati Zoo. Another happy ending for a cocaine-fueled animal. What is arguably even more interesting about this story is the fact that this is not the first case of the Cincinnati Zoo having to take care of drug-fueled animals. Apparently, just last year, they took in a monkey who had methamphetamine in its system. Meth. Monkey. Because of Meth Monkey, the team now routinely tests the animals they bring in for drugs in their system. How and why is this becoming such a thing? Silly animals, those drugs are for us, not you. Speaking of monkeys, they're once again making us question if we are actually special at all. So, there are these monkeys in Thailand who have been using stones as hammers and anvils in order to crack open nuts. Pretty smart stuff. And when they do this, they accidentally create little rock flakes that kind of look like stone-cutting tools made by early humans. Obviously, this brings up a whole bunch of questions. Are these monkeys making these tools on purpose, or is this just an accident? Are the monkeys on the verge of making more complex tools like humans do? Is this how humans first realized to make certain tools, and will the monkeys learn the same thing in the same way as humans? As you'd expect, it's gonna take more research and study to really come to an answer for this question. Another question I have that may never be answered is... How do science journalists come up with such great comparisons for asteroid sizes? I swear, every time there's a new asteroid barreling towards Earth and missing by a long shot, every publication that ever talks about science needs to jump on it and say, new asteroid the size of a million Cheetos is coming to Earth. Or, new asteroid the size of $30 million worth of Funko Pops dumped in a landfill is racing towards Earth. Or, new asteroid the size of my wiener is on its way. Well, friends, there's a new contender in the ring for best asteroid size comparison. This is coming from the Jerusalem Post. I'm just gonna read their headline as it is. Quote, new asteroid the size of... 27 pandas could hit Earth in 2046. You know what? Just do it. Just take us out. We'll never come up with a better comparison than 27 pandas. Whose idea was this? To be fair, I can't say I would do any different. 
If I was a bored, underpaid science writer, I'd always be thinking of new ways to make the same repetitive news fun. So, I'm issuing a challenge to all ye science news writers. I want to see what you can come up with. Please, oh please, never stop writing incredible headlines like this, because I simply cannot wait to see what you come up with next. The article mentions that an asteroid is coming, but a large section of the article is devoted to explaining the math behind the whole 27 pandas equals this asteroid thing. Honestly, that's incredible work. Massive, massive respect to Aaron Reich at the Jerusalem Post. You're doing the Lord's work. I have some Lord's work to do too, which is explaining why daylight saving time is such a bad idea. But first, let's get through a few more headlines. None are as good as the 27 Pandas headlines, but still interesting, such as Venus could have had oceans after life on Earth had formed. This is pretty crazy to think about because, I mean, have you ever seen Venus? Not exactly sopping wet as of late, that place is as dry as my skin always is. I seriously don't know what to do about it. It's a problem I've had my entire life. I use lotion and all of that, but I swear it's becoming less effective. Did you know your skin can grow a literal dependency on skin lotion and thus render it essentially useless? The human body is a fascinating, terrifying, and utterly weird little thing. But anyway, University of Chicago researchers published their findings that Venus may have had water and clouds and could have been quite habitable to life while life was also hanging out and evolving and developing on Earth. So was there life on Venus? I mean, maybe. It would be pretty cool if there was. The sad part of the story is that if there was water on Venus, as has been pretty widely speculated there was, that water boiled up and left, in part due to the high amounts of carbon dioxide in Venus's atmosphere. So like, not to be a downer, but that's kind of why the whole climate change thing is a bit of a problem. Venus is a very clear example of what could maybe happen to Earth if we aren't careful. So just, maybe we should be careful and think about that, you know? Okay, enough of downer time. This is the famously endlessly positive, acutely obtuse podcast, after all. I have never been sad, ever, nor will I ever be sad. How can I be sad when the James Webb Space Telescope is capturing the early stages of star formation? Researchers are studying 19 faraway spiral galaxies in the hopes of learning more about how our galaxy formed since... After all, we're a bit spirally too. They've only gotten data from 15 of the galaxies so far, so it will certainly be interesting to see what they discover once they have all the data they need. That's enough with the headlines for now. The time has come to finally talk about that most horrible of things. That most vile of... Things that happens each year. The time change. Because today, at least on the day you are given access to this piece of art called the Acutely Obtuse Podcast, Episode 3, is Sunday, March 12th, the day Daylight Saving Time takes effect in 2023. Scientists have many reasons to think Daylight Saving Time is actually kind of a bad idea, and maybe something we should not be doing. But I also have my own reasons for hating the time change associated with daylight saving time, and it once again has to do with college. The night which daylight saving time was supposed to take effect was, of course, a Saturday night into Sunday morning, and as a college student, I was staying up and taking advantage of every second of freedom I had access to. Lacking literally any friendships, though, I did the only thing someone like me does at late at night, I was watching movies, only the best quality films. I had just finished a film at 1.30am. 
Seeing that it was only 1.30 a.m., I thought, I still have time, I can watch one more weird and bad movie before going to sleep. Thus, I scrolled through Tubi and came across True Cinema. Fred the movie. I started watching this French New Wave innovative media experience and within about half an hour, could already feel my soul rushing out of my body. Fred the film started to wear me quite quickly, so I checked my phone only to find out it was now 3 a.m. I was utterly flabbergasted. It had only felt like half an hour, yet it was now 3 a.m. Fred the movie had stolen an hour of my life. Needless to say, I did not finish Fred the movie, and I continue to hate daylight saving time to this day. But besides my own painful experiences, why should we do, with day away, do away with daylight saving time? Well, for one, pretty much all sleep doctors agree daylight saving time is utterly repulsive, and can you blame them? It's so messed up, especially when you're raised in a strict religious household that forces you to go to church early on Sunday mornings, but Saturday nights are your only real moments of freedom, so you stay up late anyway, and then you lose an hour and get forced awake by your parents to go listen to hate speech and crying white people for two hours. Not only is losing sleep bad enough in and of itself, but losing that hour also throws off your circadian rhythm, which also ends up throwing off a whole host of other things with both your mental and physical health. To make matters even better, with daylight saving time having people wake up earlier when it's darker out, there is usually a significant increase in car crashes. In fact, there's also an increase in child mortality because of the darkness in the morning. As you'd expect, forcing tired children and tired adults driving two-ton steel boxes out into a dark morning is a recipe for some really, really messed up stuff. And if you care about money and stuff, economy people estimate daylight saving time costs all of us about $1.7 billion. And I mean, I'd like to have $1.7 billion, so maybe let's not lose that. Understandably, you might be thinking, what can be done to solve this grave issue? And... Isn't there a bill in Congress right now to try and stop this? Well, no, actually. The bill in Congress could maybe make things even worse. You see, the bill in Congress, the Sunshine Protection Act or something like that, is focused on making daylight saving time permanent. While at first this may sound good, no more time change and all, think about what permanent daylight saving time would mean. All the problems with it being too dark in the morning in winter would still be a thing. As it turns out, the US of ah, experimented with permanent daylight savings time once in the 1970s, and it went so poorly and made people so upset, they quickly went back on it which is why we living in today are back with the time change. So are we doomed to time change forever? No, there's a pretty simple answer, and it's just permanent standard time instead of permanent daylight saving time. That's literally it. As with a lot of American problems, literally all it would take to make things better would be for the people who make our laws to listen to actual experts instead of what the media is saying. Technically, I am media, but I am 99% certain no lawmakers listen to the Acutely Obtuse podcast, but just in case they do, can you please reach out to me? I have a lot of ideas I'd love to swing past you, one of which involves setting up a Panda Express across the street from my building. It would really mean a lot to me, and I'd repay you with more fun science headlines. I guess you'd get those headlines anyway, so that kind of takes away the incentive, but I'd give you special, extra-secret science headlines. The ones I keep locked away in a vault for a rainy day. Just give me a call and all those headlines could be yours. But until then, here are more science thingies that happened or are happening or whatever. Like the worm moon! Worm 
moon, worm, moon, worm, moon, worm, moon, worm, moon, worm, moon. I actually didn't get to see the worm moon, which is unfortunate because I'm sure it must have been quite the spiritual experience. Apparently they call it the worm moon because the worm moon is usually the last full moon of winter or something like that. So the worm moon tends to come right around when the worms are getting ready to come back out. You better prepare yourself. The worm moon is an omen of the coming worm. They will eat your crop and your wife and kill your stuffed animals. Worm moon. Worm moon. Worm moon. Worm moon. Worm moon. Hey, kind of similar to the great coming of the great worms. Did you know chimpanzees are smarter than us in some ways? Okay, I know it's not directly related to the worm, but they're both animals and they're both interesting things and I'm getting tired, okay? I'm pumping as much Kirby music into my ears as my doctor says is safe for my heart and I'm still starting to fade a little bit, but I will push through for science and junk like that. As I was saying, chimpanzees are better than humans at many different kinds of tests or tasks. I know that's not all that exciting on paper, but it's still a nice reminder that Diddy Kong absolutely has a higher IQ than you, so maybe don't you dare ever smack talk my main man Diddy Kong ever again. You know what? I know I said we were going into science headlines plural, but I'm a bit burnt out on science news for the day, so I think instead we'll head into a brand new segment this week in space or something like that. I don't know, I didn't come up with a name or anything for it. The point is, at the end of each acutely obtuse episode, we could have a segment where we go over what to look out for when stargazing this weekend, things like that. It should be fun and informative, which is like the whole mission of this show. I'm not sure we hit either of those, but gum, I'm goddamn trying, okay? So what should we be looking for in this week's sky? Well, the first thing stargazers need to keep in mind going into this week is our aforementioned daylight saving time. This is going to mean that the sky will get darker later in the day, meaning we will need to wait even later to actually look into space. There's yet another thing daylight saving is making more difficult. I was getting kind of used to darkness at 7pm. It makes stargazing so much easier rather than having to wait. Oh well, Big Wyoming loves to mess with everything. As far as the moon side of things, the Big Cheese Sphere will be going from half moon to last quarter on Wednesday. And that's about it. We'll see if this segment ever comes back again. Maybe it will be a short-lived segment, or maybe I just need to spend more time doing even deeper research for this podcast. I don't know. Anyway, with that, I'm afraid our time together this week is coming to an end. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with me. I promise that the next episode will not be any better, nor anything. I can't even promise that I'll try. So thank you for putting up with me and whatever this thing I decided to call a podcast is. I love you. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. Remember to take care of yourself and explore the universe some, and I will see you next time. See you later, crocodile, or something like that. Alright, I'm gonna change my life. I'm gonna have ChatGPT write a cover letter for me in the only industry I am qualified for. Dear hiring manager, I am writing this letter to express my interest in the mattress testing position that you currently have available. As a mattress enthusiast and diligent individual, I believe I have the qualifications and attitude that would make me an excellent candidate for this role. I have always been passionate about mattresses, about how to get a restful night's sleep, and how important it is for our overall health and well-being. That's why I've made it my mission to learn everything I can about various types of mattresses. From memory foam to hybrid, from inner spring to latex, and their different features and benefits. As for the qualifications, I have extensive experience in performing quality control tests, especially in the bedding industry. 
I understand the importance of accuracy and precision when assessing mattresses' durability, breathability, temperature regulation, and overall comfortability. Plus, I am familiar with all the necessary testing equipment and procedures and am always willing to learn more. Above all, I am a diligent and detail-oriented individual who is committed to ensuring the highest standards of quality in all my work. I believe that my skills and mindset make me a perfect match for this position and I am eager to demonstrate what I can do. Thank you for your consideration and I look forward to hearing from you soon. Okay, wow, that was actually surprisingly good. Now I need the AI to write my cover letter for the job of working as Donkey Kong at Nintendo Land. Oh, and we're still not on Google Podcast yet. What is it going to take, Google? Five dollars? Come on, that's got to be more than what you've made off of the entire Google Podcast platform.